Thank you. That was a good message in song. Thank you. Is he your savior today? Today I want to um, talk with you uh, on this subject, I know thy works. That was a very unusual scripture reading that we had there a few minutes ago. I don't think we've ever done a scripture reading quite like that ever in our 20 years. But I suppose there's always a time for, uh, for, for everything, I suppose. Um, when your car breaks down, I mean, this is just simple logic, but when your car breaks down, you need to take it to the right place to get it fixed. Unless you can fix it yourself, which most of us cannot do. But you need to take it to the right place. You wouldn't take your, uh, your car to the dentist, say, if it broke down. Um, you'd want to take it to an auto mechanic. The reason being is because in this particular case, your auto mechanic can do things that your dentist cannot do. However, if you have a toothache, you don't want to go visit your auto mechanic. You want to go see your dentist because the dentist in this case can do things that your auto mechanic cannot do. So that's just simple. Hmm? 10 out of 10 there. All we're saying, it's important you go to the right place. Now with that simple logic in mind, the question is, what role does the church play in society? We understand what role the dentist plays and what role the auto mechanic plays, but what role does the church play in society? <coughs> what sort of need do people have that only the church can help them with? What is the purpose of the local church? You know, throughout the last 2,000 years of church history, the local church has always been able to do something that no one else in town has been able to do. No government, no business, no social group, no mechanic, no dentist. Only the living, breathing, uh, local Church of Jesus is able to do it. From our scripture reading a few moments ago, we learn that the church is to be doing works. That was the idea of those seven um, churches that we, we looked at in Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus said to each one, I know thy works. Every church heard those same words from Jesus. And so today, with those words in mind, we're going to try to learn how the, the church fits in society. What job are we supposed to be doing? Let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Loving Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your, your marvelous love and your grace and mercy and pity in our lives. We thank you for the church. We ask for special understanding and wisdom now as we read the word of God and help us, Lord, to learn what it is the church is to do. What is the job of the church? What works, what good works is the church to be about? And so please teach us this, show us this. And we'll give you the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe with all my heart that God designed the local church to do certain things that no other person or group is able to do. But you know, these days it seems that we live in, in the day and age of the mega church. They're all over there, aren't, aren't they? There's thousands of them out there. You say, what's a megachurch? It's a church that technically has 2,000 or more people in attendance. And those would be the smaller of the megachurches. So many megachurches today have 5,000, 10,000. Some have 20,000. There's a church 
It started over in South Korea, and it's been going a long, long time. And they have sort of chapters around the world added together. Their attendance is over 800,000. That's bigger than our entire city here, folks. It's, it's almost crazy. But the, uh, the megachurches seem to be led by these uh, men and women with huge charisma. They just look into the TV camera and melt your heart. They write bestseller books. They broadcast their church services over the uh, major TV networks and internet and satellite radio. However, if you could somehow go and visit all of the Bible-believing churches all over the world, you'd get a different picture of what the church is. Somehow, you'd, you'd, see, you'd say, what happened to the 200-voice choir? What happened to the 20-piece worship praise band up here on the stage? It's gone. They don't exist. In most all, the far greater majority of Bible-believing churches all over the world, these things do not exist. It's like we're living in a time of smoke and mirrors. The mega church seems to be kind of, sort of have taken over. And so it causes us to question, does this mean that the small local church has become irrelevant? That we have no role to play in society? What is our job as a local church? What is it that Jesus wants us to do? Now in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we quickly saw a few minutes ago that Jesus wrote seven different letters to seven different churches there in the Asia Minor area, the area that today is called Turkey. Each of these was a local church in a different city. Jesus owned them all. They all belonged to him. He knew all about them and the people that attended those churches. And he knew all about the works that each of those churches were doing. And that even includes the miserable church, the church of the Laodiceans. If you ever read that in Revelation chapter 3, they thought they had it all. And Jesus gave them the sad news. You think you're rich, you're actually poor. You think you're happy and you're actually miserable. And you're wretched and you're blind, and you're naked. This is how Jesus viewed the church, even though the people in the church didn't see it that way. They thought they had it made in the shade. These seven letters were almost like a report card that Jesus was giving to those seven churches. Now you might think, oh boy, that doesn't sound so good, you know, to get a, a C- minus or a D on your report card. I don't think I want a report card like that. Hey, folks, did you know that if you're saved, if you're born again, if you're part of God's family, one day you will stand in heaven before Jesus? Did you know that? And he is going to look at your life and judge your life to see what he can reward and what he can't reward? It's not a matter of salvation. It's not that you're going to stand before him and then he's going to decide if you get to go into heaven or not. No, no. That decision is made here on earth before you die. Salvation is on this side of eternity, not on the other side. It's this side only. That's why it's important that all the world hear the gospel message. 
Can I get an amen on that? That's why as a church, we're involved in missions. As a church, we're involved in soul winning. Because the unsaved world all around us needs the gospel message. Whether they know it or not, whether they receive it or not, they need it. And it's our job to deliver it. And so as believers, you, you and I will stand before Jesus one day and he will look through our lives to see what he can reward and, and what's garbage and he can't reward. And to get a kind of a, a, a progress report, get, get a little bit of a report card before you stand before Jesus is a good thing. Can you imagine if Jesus were to give you a report card on your Christian life? If he somehow delivered you in the mail, maybe with wings on the letter, a little report card that, that told you how you were doing spiritually. You could see some of the areas you're doing well in, and then you could see some of the areas that you were bombing on. You know what? You would you'd be blessed because you'd have an opportunity to correct those areas that you're weak in before you die and go to heaven. And then there's no more chance. Getting that pre-report card is a great idea. These seven letters to the seven churches were something to be excited about, even the miserable church in Laodicea, because they had the opportunity to be able to correct those miserable points and make them right before they die and stand before Jesus. And so that's a good idea if you ask me these um, these progress reports that Jesus gave to the seven churches. So Jesus knew these churches intimately and he knew all about the works that each one of them did. Now the question arises, what were the works that the churches were doing? Because Jesus said to every single of the churches, all seven of them, he said, I know thy works. Well, what were they doing? What were these works? I think to answer that question, we've got to go back to the book of Acts. And I think in the book of Acts, I think we're going to get our answers there. So let's go back there now, shall we? Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We have before us the very last day that the Lord Jesus spent on earth before he went back to heaven. In chapter 1, verse 4. Follow as I read, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. That's a reference to the coming of the Holy Spirit, by the way, that happened in chapter 2. Which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And also verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And after this, he was lifted up and taken back to heaven. So what were the works the church was involved with after Jesus went back? Go down a couple of verses to verse 14. You'll see the first one. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brethren. So some of his earthly brothers got saved as well. And so the first work that the church was involved with was group prayer. That was the first work. Is that a good work, do you think? 
Seems like it. That's what the church was involved with. Church group prayer. Every Christian prays. And every Christian needs to pray on their own individually, at home and when driving or on the bus or at work or at school. Uh, you need to be a prayer warrior. But you need to come together as a church for prayer. This was a definite church prayer meeting. They are all getting together. And this is the first thing they got involved with. You'll find out later down in Acts chapter 12 when the Apostle Peter was thrown in jail and he was going to be killed. What did the church do? They held a prayer meeting. The church got together for a prayer meeting. And God answered prayer and the miracle came and Peter was miraculously released out of prison. There is power in group prayer. That's why Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we encourage you, be here for group prayer when we have the Bible study and the prayer meeting. So that would be the first work the church got involved with. Now the second work, we'll go to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. And we won't take the time to read all of his preaching, but this is the second work that the local church seems to have been involved with, and that is evangelism. They had prayer, now they have evangelism. They're doing preaching, and I think there was one-on-one -on -one counseling as well. Because when you get to the end of the chapter, you find out that 3,000 people got saved. And so we've got local evangelism. The second work would be local evangelism. Now the third work comes after these people are saved, Verse 41, chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. There's the baptism. And the same day there were added unto them. That's membership. Added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now that's quite a jump, wouldn't you say? If this church grew by 3,000 in one day, we've got a building that might hold a tenth of that, 300. We need 10 of these buildings, don't we? Or we're going to need a big stadium. 3,000. I would love to have been there that day and heard the preaching and watched the people get saved and watched them get baptized. How do you baptize 3,000 people in one day? Well, I think I got it figured out. After the service, come and see me and I'll share with you what I think is the answer. But the third work would have been baptism and membership. Now, the fourth work, if you look at verse 42, I believe is teaching Bible doctrine, fellowship, and communion. All these are works, good works. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread, there's your communion, and in prayers. There we've added the first work again. The fifth work now would have been worldwide missions. Things continue on pretty good for a couple of chapters till you get to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, the church had grown quite large at Jerusalem, but now persecution set in, and God allowed it so that the church could spread out. And here's where we get into worldwide missions. In verse 1, it says, And Saul was consent, consenting unto his death. That's the death of Stephen the martyr. Um... And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. So that would be thousands of them. 
scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. And go down to verse 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. That's missions. We've got local evangelism. Now we've got missions. And so this would have been the fifth work that the church would be involved in is getting the, the gospel around the world, worldwide missions. And the sixth work, it's not mentioned here, but I think if you read through Acts, you'll see it time and again. But what I'd like to do is read for you out of Galatians. You needn't turn there, but chapter 5 and verse 13, it says these words, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. And here it comes. This is what I want you to hear. This was written to the churches in Galatia. But by love, serve one another. There's the good works of service. And there's all kinds of them. The ladies that work in the nursery are serving you parents that have children back there. Praise the Lord for our nursery and our nursery workers. Amen. We could use a few more good ladies and workers in our nursery. And so let's get back to the message. The seven churches that Jesus wrote letters to in Revelation 2 and 3, every one of those churches were doing works. They were either doing all or some of those good works. Now something that's just on the side I'd like to share with you. If you went through all of those seven church letters, you'd know that Jesus had a rebuke for five of the seven. Five of those seven churches received a different rebuke from Jesus for things that they weren't doing right. Only two of those churches didn't get any rebuke whatsoever. There was the church of Smyrna, that's where they were suffering, and the church of Philadelphia, that's where they were faithful. And I think the real secret of their success was their constant love and affection for Jesus, their abiding in Him, their faithfulness, their constant adoring love of the Savior. I think that this is the secret of the success of those two churches. Now, when it comes to good works, false religions will teach you that you are saved by doing good works. This is pretty much common the world over. If you went to a, um, a Muslim and to ask the Muslim, how can I get to heaven? He would essentially tell you, if your good works outweigh your bad works, then Allah will receive you. If you went to an Orthodox Jew and asked, how can I get to heaven? He would tell you, your good works, if they outweigh your bad works, you will get to heaven. And pretty much the world over, with very few exception, the religions of the world will tell you the way you get to eternity or eternal bliss or eternal happiness or heaven or whatever they want to call it is to do more good works than bad works. Many people in this country have the idea that God is something like that, a heavenly accountant. We're blessed to have several accountants in our church. And some people make the mistake of thinking God is like a heavenly accountant. He's got a big piece of paper up in heaven with your name on the top. There's a line down the center. On the left go all of your bad things. On the right go all of your good things. The day you die, God draws a line across the bottom. He adds up all of the bad things. He adds up all of the good things. He subtracts 
the two gets the difference. If there's more bad than good, you go to hell. If there's more good than bad, you get to go to heaven. And some people think that's what happens. And God wrote us a Bible to tell us that's not what happens. That's not it at all. False religions will always tell you you're saved by good works. But I want you to see something with your own eyes if you turn back to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 7. The Lord Jesus, who was God in the flesh, the Jehovah God of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. Don't let anyone fool you and think that they're not the same. They are the same. The same God. And Jesus said in John chap Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? There's a good work. And in thy name have cast out devils? Oh, there's a good work. I know some people I could use the devil cast out of them. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Verse 23, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now say these last words out loud with me. Ye that work iniquity. Wow. There are many people in for a big surprise. They're doing all kinds of good works. Even reading their Bible, lighting candles. There are so many, many that are doing things they think will merit them eternal life. They're in for a big surprise. In Titus chapter 1 verse 16, it says that these unbelievers, listen to this, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. They're not doing the good works. What does God say in the Bible about how we are to be saved? How do we get to heaven? And that's answered for us in the book of Ephesians. If you would turn to the right, past the Gospels, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, you'll get to Galatians, and then Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This is what God says in the Bible on how we are to be saved. Chapter 2 of Ephesians. Look at verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Now there's no mention of works there. It doesn't say for by baptism. Or by lighting candles. Or by Hail Marys. Or by counting beads. Or by crawling across glass in your bare feet. It says for by grace. Whose grace? God's grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Whose faith? That's your faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Now that now refers back to the faith. It is the gift of God. Even the faith you have has been given to you by God. And read verse 9 out loud with me, everyone, please. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation has never been by works, never has been, never will be. Because we can't work our way to heaven. We're disqualified. Imagine going into the funeral home. I don't mean to sound disrespectful, but to walk up to, to, to one of the coffins, the caskets, it's open and there's a, a dead body in there and say to him, 
You know, if you'd only try, you could get out of that thing. If you would just try a little harder, you could crawl right out of that because, listen, they're going to nail that thing shut before you know it. You better get out now. And as much as you encourage them, threaten them, coax them, bribe them, beg them, plead with them, what happens? Absolutely nothing. Why? Simple. They are dead. That's why you and I can't do good works. Because we're spiritually dead. We're dead. We're saved by grace. God will do it as a gift. So if we're saved by grace through faith, then where do these good works fit in? It's answered for you in chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The word workmanship comes from a Greek word in which this New Testament was originally written. Pima. Pima. It means something that's made. It has the idea of a work of art. It's, not, it's more than just something made. It's something that's made with care. Something that's made with, with love even, such as a beautiful painting. A workmanship. If you're here today and you're born again, you've been born again into God's family, you're a new creature, you've got Christ inside you, you know it. You know you're on your way to heaven because of the new birth that you experienced when you repented and received Christ. And if you're born again, you are Jesus' workmanship. You, you, you are His masterpiece that He's working on. Now you might not think of yourself as a masterpiece, you might think there's a lot of defects. Well, listen, Jesus isn't finished yet with you. You might have problems with bad attitudes. You might have problems with greed or lust or laziness or selfishness. Jesus is still working on you. You're not done yet. You're not finished yet. That's good news, isn't it? Whew. Yeah, because even in our present condition... I don't think we're quite ready for heaven. Too many changes got to take place. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There's your good works. The cults, the false religions tell you you've got to do good works to get to heaven. The Bible tells you you receive heaven as a free gift. Now, after that, you're born into God's family. After you've received the free gift, you're born into God's family. Now you can do good works. But you can't do them before because you're spiritually dead. In Titus chapter 2.14, it says that Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. In 2 Timothy 3.17, it, uh, it says that the man of God is to be thoroughly furnished, sorry, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In Hebrews 10.24, it says that we are to consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And Jesus set the example for us. When he was on earth in John 10.32, he said these exact words. He said, many good works have I showed you from my Father. 
And so the question comes down to you and me today. What is it that we're able to do for the Lord? Let me repeat that question because I'm going to have to explain it. Someone here heard it but didn't understand it. What are we able to do for the Lord? Let me say it another way. It's not what do I want to do for the Lord? That's not the question. What do I want or not want to do for the Lord? That's not the issue. The issue is this. What am I able to do for the Lord? I may want to lift a thousand pounds for the Lord, but I'm not able to lift a thousand pounds for the Lord. But I can lift 50 pounds for the Lord. Well, why aren't you doing it? Oh, it's because I can't lift a thousand pounds for the Lord, so there's no sense in me lifting 50 pounds for the Lord. No, no. You miss the point. Everyone does their part. If everyone picks up one rock, all of us can move a mountain. Make sense? Yeah. It's not a question of what you want to do or what you don't want to do. It's what are you able to do? You know, there are some Christians that absolutely refuse certain jobs for the Lord because they think it's beneath them. Clean the church. Uh, can't you find someone else to do that? Oh, you want me to put on an usher's jacket and be an usher? No, that's not my calling. It's not what you want or don't want. It's what you're able to do. That's the issue right there. That's, that's the make it or break it. I ask you, what all are you able to do for the Lord Jesus without burning yourself out? The worst thing I think you can do is get so busy that you burn yourself out and you're no more good. And this has happened to many pastors. They get in the ministry. They're so zealous to serve the Lord. They get so busy. They're visiting every family in the city. Lo and behold, their own family is neglected. You know, a pastor's wife is a member of the church too and needs a visit once in a while too, right? Makes sense? And so many pastors burn themselves out. And a lot of Christians make the same mistake and they get so busy that they burn themselves out and then for the rest of their life, they're not much good. So, this is not the 50-yard dash we're talking about. This is the 26-mile marathon we're talking about. And we have to pace ourselves. And we've got to go before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? When it comes to service, what do you want me to do, Lord? When it comes to giving, what do you want me to give, Lord? When it comes to praying, how do you want me to pray, Lord? You see, he's got the answers. We're talking today on this subject, I know thy works. It's like a pre-report card, a little progress report. If Jesus were to give you today a progress report on your Christian life, can you honestly say that you're doing everything that you can to serve the Lord? Can you honestly say that? These churches got a progress report, which was a good thing because five of them had some serious deficiencies, but at least they found out about it. 
and they had an opportunity to correct those and change those. I believe there are Christians that no matter what you do, they're not going to serve the Lord. And that's their decision. No matter what you show them in the Bible, you could even pay them to serve the Lord and they'll refuse. They just don't want to do it. That's totally between them and God. But I'll have you know there's a lot of wonderful Christian men and women who are eager to serve the Lord because they really do know that one day they'll stand before him and they want to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's not what you want to do. It's what are you able to do. Do you see the difference? Mm. The churches in Revelation in many ways are no different than our church here. Those churches were made up of people that are in many ways no different from us here today. We live, we breathe, we eat, we sleep, you prick us, we bleed. Tickle us, we laugh. But we, we're saved. What are you able to do without burning yourself out? Do you think you might be able to do just a little bit more for the Lord? It's a good question, I think. I'm going to show you one more scripture and then I think we're done. If you go back to Mark, please. This is so good. I'm going to show you this and then we'll close. Mark chapter 14. I'm going to show you someone here in this chapter who was not able to be a preacher. Someone who was not able to be a missionary. Someone who was not able to do a lot of different things. But this person found something they could do. And they did it. If I were to ask you, do you think you could establish a godly home with Christ as the head of the home? where you give honor to the Lord every day with devotions and prayer before meals and make him the silent and unseen guest, the head of your home. Do you think you could do that? And if your answer is, yes, I think I can do that, then my counsel is then go ahead and do it. If you think you can become a member of this church, then do it. If you think you can get here on time and not be late, then do it. If you think you can greet people at the door and serve the Lord as a greeter, do it. If you think you can protect the church as part of security, then get involved and do it. If you think you can help clean the church, then do it. Do you think you can teach a Sunday school class? Do you think you can care for children in the nursery? Do you think you can serve as an usher? As a musician? Do you think you can get involved with soul winning here at the church, learning how to do it? Do you think you can sing in the choir or sing special music? 
Do you think you can tithe your income and help support missionaries? If you think you can do it, then do it. Because the truth is, you don't have a lot of time left on earth. You have no guarantee on tomorrow, and chances are he'll be here before you know it. But I want you to see someone in here. Wherever the gospel is preached, wherever the word of God finds a home, this lady has got public mention. Chapter 14, please look at verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman. Now the gospel of John identifies her as Mary, having an alabaster box of ointment. Uh, ointment of spikener. Very precious. mean very expensive. And she broke the box. That was the only way to get it, the ointment out. And poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. Pause for a moment. You consider a working man's wage of a penny a day. That's just about a year's wages. So that gives you an idea of the cost. Maybe $40,000 worth in today's money. So it might have been sold for 300 pence and have been given to the poor. Now the other gospels indicate that it was Judas who said that. And his only motive was he was a thief. And he wanted that money for himself. And here's Mary who had this box and many Bible scholars believe that it was probably something to do with a dowry. That if she was ever going to get a husband, it was part of the enticement to get a husband. And she took this and pretty much gave away her future. They suggest that she remained unmarried for the rest of her life. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But she took this tremendous expense and she break it and she anointed the head of Jesus with it. Verse 6. Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have, the, ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. Underline that. She hath done what she could. Wow. And then the promise. In verse 9, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached. There it is. Tremendous, tremendous story. You know, the disciples, when this was going on, they didn't quite catch the significance of what Mary was doing. Judas, he was, he was out of his mind. But the rest of the disciples, they didn't even catch the significance of this. And what Mary was doing was something that wasn't absolutely necessary. It was above and beyond, wasn't it? It was something extra. And yes, it's true. It could have been sold the money given to the poor. Yes, that's true. But this is something above and beyond. And it was so special. And Jesus said, let her alone. She hath done what she could. And underline those words there. It was extravagant, but Jesus appreciated it. When you serve Jesus, when you do what you can, 
He appreciates it. I'll tell you a story. It's a story about a poor widow who had a little boy. Many, many years ago, the story is told, and she was struggling to raise the little guy. A lady friend of hers in the town in which they lived had a little boy about the same age. And the little boy in the poor widow's home did not have any pants. He didn't have anything nice. No nice clothes. He just had rags. And so the other woman, when she saw this, she went home, went to the closet, and she got out a beautiful pair of pants that belonged to her boy. And she started to prepare the pants to send them to the widow's boy. Before she wrapped them up in in paper, she reached into the pockets. And wouldn't you know it, she found a bunch of marbles. Little boys put things in their pockets sometimes. Isn't that true, Mom? And so she took out the marbles and she was preparing to send the pants, but she stopped and she looked at those marbles and she thought a minute and she put the marbles back in the pocket of the pants and she prepared the pants and folded them into the, 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 the paper, put the string around it and she sent the package to the poor widow, a free gift for her little boy and shortly the widow responded and wrote a note back and thanked her for the gracious gift of the pants. And then she added these words, but especially thank you for the marbles. Jesus said these words, I know thy works. And he said it over and over and over to every church, every Christian within those churches. I know thy works. Now, if Jesus wrote you a report card, what might it say? Are you getting A's? My Christian brother, my Christian sister, are you doing everything you can to serve the Lord? Are you getting A's? Maybe a couple of B's? Or are you getting some D's on there? Are there any F's on your report card? How you failed the Lord? You've failed to give him the tithe. You've failed to even come to communion. You've failed to serve him. Are there any F's on your report card? Jesus said, I know thy works. And he knows the works you've done. The good works you have done, he knows those, even though others may not see them. And he also knows what you should have done, even though others don't know. And I'm asking you, my Christian friend, today, will you come and seek the Lord and will you tell him that you will start doing everything that you are able to serve him? Would you consider doing that? Now listen, maybe you're here today and you've been trying to get to know God over the last weeks or months. Maybe you've been trying to get to know God and praying on your own the best you know how. But you're finding it's not working. It's not working. Others seem to have the joy. Others seem to know the Lord, but I don't. It's not working for me. What work do I need to do? And I'm here to tell you, there is no work you can do. Someone else did all the work for you. 
His name is Jesus. And he paid for everything you owe God. And he paid it on the cross when he died for you. He dipped his soul into your hell. He paid everything you owe. And now that payment is waiting to be applied to your account. And your part is to simply repent of the sins in your life. The bad thoughts and the words and the failures. And to repent and ask Jesus forgiveness. And ask him to come into your life and heart and be your savior. And if you will do that, if you will receive Jesus, you'll find a surprise. Because God put into Jesus eternal life. Heaven. Whoso hath the Son hath life. And whoso hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's as simple as that. And you can receive Jesus today. Would you stand to your feet please everyone?